Welcome to the Birding Life Podcast. My name is Adam, and I'm your host on the podcast where we discover birds and the birders that pursue them. The Birding Life is proud to be associated with Shrobsky Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars, and spotting scopes, as well as the Bird Lesser bird logging app, Spot, Plot, Play a Part. Download and install the app to play your part in social conservation. The Birding Life is a lot more than just a podcast. It's a multi-platform resource to connect birders with each other, amazing locations, the best resources, and obviously, where to find amazing birds. Head on over to our website, www.thebirdinglife.com, and be sure to sign up to our newsletter on the site so you do not miss out on any of the exciting things that are coming up. Be sure to follow this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to it on, and please take some time to rate and comment on it. Today is the Birding Life Show, and we're going to chat about a whole range of subjects. Youth birding, apps and websites that have helped your birding journey. We chat about a few pairs of binoculars that you should consider, and a whole lot more. But before we start, we just want to apologize for some of the sound issues that we had in this episode. We really hope that you still enjoy the chat that we had. Okay, this is episode 36 of the Birding Life Podcast, and today is our monthly Birding Life show. Um, today, we are one member short. Um, Tyron is all the way up in Zululand, still in a car traveling back. We are super jealous. It sounds like he had an amazing weekend. Um, we're looking forward to hearing the birds he heard, but we've got Calvin and we've got Chris. So, how are you guys doing? Yeah, great. Thanks, Adam. Um, yeah, I, I must say, this uh, this time of the year is always a, a bittersweet one for me. I I'm always very envious of of not only everyone out birding, but um, everyone participating in, in uh, birding big day, uh, um, sort of put together and 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 hosted by BirdLife South Africa. It always it happens to fall on my wife's birthday, so I can only look look on with envy in terms of your team and others that participated. But uh, it's really uh, always great fun f- following the the, the goings on of all the teams around the around the country. So must say, I had a actually had a great weekend, although it was quite passive birding for me. I think for me, I was, uh, I'm was i also pretty cool. Uh, it was also like Calvin, I was looking in envy at all the teams that were birding. Uh, it was very tense at some points because I was supporting certain teams and it was like watching a horse race. <laughs> um, but other than that, yeah, it was a pretty good weekend. And just to proudly announce also that this is the first episode that is sponsored by Outliers Coffee Roasters, um, a really great family-owned business. They are passionate about customers, passionate about their quality, and they are passionate about conservation. And yeah, they are going to be keeping the birding life caffeinated during our podcast. So we really are grateful for them coming on board. Their coffee is awesome. So it's really good to have them on board. And and I think just from our side, I think it's just we love working with people that are like-minded. And I think we've just built a good relationship with John over the years. And it's been been really, really awesome. And I think we've got some other really cool relationships coming up in the next couple of months. Yeah, no, a big big thanks to uh, John Kinghorn from uh, Untamed Birding. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, getting my hands on a bag as well. I'm, I'm keen to try. What, uh, what, what are the different sort of flavors or, or the blends that he's offering there, Adam? Okay, so the three blends we've got in our hands, we are so stoked to have them, is firstly is Dawn Chorus, which has a secretary bird on the label. And this one here, a percentage of this um, blend, when you buy this blend, a percentage goes to BirdLife South Africa. I think if you buy the, um, just get the right size, the 250 gram, um, 10 rand goes to BirdLife South Africa. And if you buy the 1 kg and 40, 40 rand goes to BirdLife South Africa. One of the blends, the other blend I've got is Elusive. And Elusive, they 
donates to Endangered Wildlife Trust's Birds of Prey program, which is really cool. And then Sentinel Blend, which has a vulture on the outside, and they support Valpro. So I think, you know, I'd really encourage people to buy these. I mean, they're really, it's quality coffee. This is a family-owned business. Um, John Kinghorn Sr. is passionate about coffee. And, you know, we got these delivered within a couple of, like a couple of days and their service is great, but the coffee is good. But I just love the fact that when you're drinking, listening to a dawn chorus, you're actually conserving the birds you're looking at. I think that's really cool also. Okay, so we're going to chat about a whole lot of things. This is the show where there's no real plan. We just go with the flow and see what happens and have a lot of fun along the way. So Chris, let's start with you. You've been doing the Youth Birding Podcast. Um, I think we have quite a cool announcement. What is happening with the Youth Birding Podcast from December? Yeah, so uh, we've just um, completed episode four of uh, the Birding Life Youth Podcast. I had Fiona Gilogli on the show, and she was really insightful. She's all the way from the US of A, and um, she spoke about nature journaling and a couple of other things. And the exciting announcement is that as of the first week of December, we will be releasing a youth podcast every week, every Saturday. Mm. Well done. So yeah, it's, it's, I think it's going to be pretty cool. Um, we've got a lot of exciting guests that we've got planned and all of them young birders. I think the one cool thing we've done with the Youth Birding Podcast, conversations we've had behind the scenes has been our birding life podcast our main podcast is very aimed at a southern african audience although we have listeners from all around the world and just stay tuned we've got some really cool podcasts coming up we don't want to tell you guys too much right now we've got some really cool stuff coming up but i think what's been cool about the youth birding podcast is i think it's got a bit of a it's got a bit of an international flavor to it and we've got i know chris had the uh, guest this week from california um we've got guests lined up from australia and from poland and a lot of south africans but it's it's not and these aren't all let's use the word celebrity birders these, these are just normal young passionate birders and i and i, I must be, i i don't we don't screen the episodes before half the time. We don't even know. We, we Oh, she's episodes gone up. And I, I don't know. I'm just listening to them. It's just I've been blown away by the the depth of understanding that a lot of these young birders have. Yeah. And I think uh, just to add on to that point, like I think when you, you um, think of young birders, sometimes people disqualify young birders as um, being talented. But Actually, when like as I've spoken to these young birders, I've come to realize more and more that the passion for birding isn't dying out. It's actually only growing in the youth. It's growing further than it's ever actually been. And when I speak to them, they make me feel stupid sometimes. I'll be quite honest. <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe the only thing I would ask there, Chris, is do you think that the sort of explosion, if we can say that, or, or if we're going to use a birding term, an eruption of all the, the junior, uh, well, sort of, sort of younger birders at least, um, do you think that that is, is facilitated by social media and possibly lockdown as well, where, you know, maybe people uh, who, who were forced to, to stay in their homes, I actually wrote an article about this in our, in our, um, our weekly newsletter, but uh, about my thoughts on the effect of lockdown on birding. But do you think that that had, had a big sort of um, influence on, on the growth of birding amongst the younger people? I, I think it did, it did have quite a bit of an influence because uh, a lot of young people were cooped up inside of their homes and looking for something to do. And they picked up on this little thing called birding on social media. And um, social media does play a huge part in 
the the growth of birding because um, it's so much easier to get the information out there these days and it's much easier to actually get to know the birds because you can just Google it and you can find it. And I, I, I also uh, I want to give credit to the the younger birders as well as some of the older birders because they actually looking to kind of, if, if you want to call it, they want to pass the baton on. They want to actually get other young people involved and get them to, in a sense, also get involved in birding. Oh, that's encouraging to hear, sure. And yeah, Chris, I think it's just like, like I said, I've just been blown away at the insight. I think a lot of people have this understanding, thinking that young birders are just about social media and just about, you know, just about chasing the next bird. And I know we've said this many times on various podcasts where we've spoken about young birders, but it, you know what blows my mind is the knowledge that these young birders had. We um, did Birding Big Day yesterday and we had Tristan Nordia with us. And, you know, it was amazing with this guy, with, with, his, with him as a birder, one of our Birding Life ambassadors is, you know, his knowledge of birds we see is phenomenal. Not just that, his, the, the animals. I mean, he just knows stuff about these animals. And it's not like he's trying to impress you with his knowledge. It's just they're so passionate about, you know, nature and conservation and all those kinds of things. And I think going forward, I think birding looks so strong going forward. I think we've, 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 we've got some really cool um, conservationists that have gone before us and we honor those people and we love their legacy but I think going forward the world of birding and the world of conservation looks incredibly good yeah um you know I've I must say I've we've we've done a little bit of birding with uh, with Zach Simpson and I know he's he's been on your podcast uh, Chris as well and his level of understanding not only of, of just birding you know birds in particular but, but the natural world is is incredible and I try and ask myself is like how, how does someone like that gain such a, a vast a vast sort of array or wide a wide understanding of of, of nature in such a, such a relatively short time and I, and I wonder if it's not you know we we all talk about the fact that we're living in the information age and and people's access to information is better than it's ever been in the history of, of the world whereas previously you know your, your older birders and in inverted commas relied on on obviously being out in the field a lot and whatever whatever textbooks or, or books that were available to them either at a library or, or that they'd purchase themselves nowadays if you you can think of absolutely any topic you want and uh, on on any on any um bird or anything any animal reptile whatever the case is you can just punch it into google and you're going to get stacks and stacks of information and you know you you the your upskilling or the 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 the, the, the curb um towards getting to a point where you you know you're a recognized birder or or just your your access to knowledge is, is just far better than it's ever been in the, in in history, really. Yeah, I, I agree with that um, because like um, because young people are so curious. Um, when they latch onto something, they automatically want to go Google it and they want to actually find out more about this. So if they see a bird that piques their interest, then all of a sudden they're going to start googling more and more and try and see what actually could be found, and they're not going to just be satisfied with seeing the bird. They actually want to learn about the bird, learn the behavior and all that. And it's been really inspiring. But Kelvin, I think one thing you've opened my understanding to a lot, and maybe you just want to share some of these apps that you're using. There's a whole of these really cool apps you're using. I think one of them is iNaturalist, and there's another one that you actually, 
we're actually giving away a prize as, uh, as a prize this week with our 30 Days of Christmas promotion. But I think even these apps are making journaling and recording of what you're seeing so much so much better. What are some of the apps that you are using, um, websites using? Because I know like um, I'm sometimes a little bit lazy with that, but what are some of the, the resources online and apps that you are using at the moment that you think will will help some of the people that are listening. And this is not a paid promotion. This is just apps that we are passionate about, apps that we think are really cool. Before you even chat about that, one app which is doing so well, which I, I just really think is cool. And the BirdPro app is really, it's a world-class app and it's a local app. These guys are really pushing the boundaries. I've seen a lot of apps from around the world. And I tell you, this is one of the best apps in the world. I think it's phenomenal, phenomenal. But yeah, what other what apps are you using? And I know none of them are necessarily birding apps. Some of them are just nature in general. So what? tell us about the apps you're using on your phone at the moment. Yeah, um, it, it's it's quite a tricky topic, actually. And, and I find um, it can be quite polarizing when you talk about the introduction of, of this kind of technology into in, into birding as a hobby. Now, like Chris was alluding to earlier, you know, younger people are growing up with technology and it's just it's built into the fabric of their life. Whereas the older generation, technology has always had this kind of like, I know it's there and I'm I'm not quite sure what value it can add to me. So I'll I'll dip my toe in every now and again to see what I can get out of it. So so I find, you know, when you bring those sort of topics up and, and using apps to, to, to help your birding or to, to you know, to su- supplement your birding, it can be quite quite a tricky conversation. But, but to answer your question, something I stumbled across um, just during lockdown, I was, um, I, I was participating in, in um, Nick uh, Baker's, uh, he, every day he would post a live video on Instagram. And for anyone that, that knows or has heard of Nick Baker, He's he's world renowned for his interest uh, interest in, in bugs and and um, entomology, but you know I just I just really like the guy and I, I love his sort of outlook on the natural world. So I started following him, and w- one of the people that were w- was watching the Instagram live um, started speaking about an app called Our Naturalist, and Our Naturalist is a, a first of all it's a global resource. It's backed by National Geographic and a few other um, American universities, I believe, and. The thing about our naturalist is that it 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 tries to capture and document. Well, let, let me re- rephrase that. It's a catch-all for anything to do with the natural world, and we're talking about insects, animals, I mean, mammals, uh, fish, plants, birds, you name it. Whatever item is part of the natural world or, or is a living being or creature uh, can be documented on 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 our naturalist. And what they the, the the aim of the project or the aim of the, the application is that they want to build a a biomap of of every sort of species around the world. And what makes this app so applicable to birding and and why it's so interesting is that it's it's a it's a peer to peer sort of sharing platform where if I if I get a photograph of a bird and 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 first and foremost it all works works based on f- photography and I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a second about why that's so important. But if I if I take a photograph of a bird and I'm not sure about the, uh, the identification, um, yes there are Facebook groups and and locally here BirdLife South Africa. If you post a picture there for an ID, you're going to get lots of people that are going to help you. But this application will not only uh, identify that species. For you, but based on the actual computer vision, the, the 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 algorithms and the artificial intelligence built into the application, but other people can also verify that that identification. So, for example, let's uh, let's use a bit of an LBJ-ish type bird here. If I po- post a picture of a female southern red bishop, the, the the application will will suggest that it's a southern red bishop, and I say, okay, that's what I think it is, 
And then that, that picture and that, that identification from the application goes into a pool of ID, of to be ID'd uh, photographs. And you or I or any other user around the world can, can see my, can see my uploaded picture and you can agree or disagree with, with whatever my or the, uh, or, or our naturalist, um, identification was. And through that, the, the algorithm and the artificial intelligence learns about what are the identification features of a southern red bishop. So, again, you know, like I mentioned earlier, there are potentially pros and cons. It could make you a little bit more of a lazy birder, but it could also help you to contribute towards citizen science and building a map of where you've seen what bird and, and the different variations based on location and things like that. And, you know, there is a, there is a cell phone application. So you quite, you, if you're walking in the field and you see a nice flower, like I was recently doing in the Berg, you take a photograph of a flower, you upload it to iNaturalist. Not only will iNaturalist identify it for you, but then it'll go into a central database of wildflowers, for example, and, and it'll map those. So if you've, if you've got the time, I highly recommend just going onto the website. You're going to, you're going to go down the rabbit hole. I can assure you of that because it's just, it's never ending. Whatever your natural interest is, there is someone that A, shares that interest, but B, you know, you're going to just, you're going to see species from all over the world, um, wherever you are. I mean, you can zoom into Borneo or uh, Central America, wherever you want to go, you can get, you can get a, a, a picture of what, what's found there. We've said this a couple of times on a, on a few shows. I had, had a quite a, a good conversation with John King. If you haven't heard that episode, go back and listen. Quite controversial about a lot of things, but really cool. And Ernst Retief was also just speaking about the danger of people just going on and just popping a picture onto Facebook and getting identification or using an app. But, you know, I think one thing I'm learning more and more as I speak to people is this is your journey. If you are happy to pop a picture into an app and get an identification, that's cool. If that's what you enjoy about birding. It doesn't mean that because somebody else wants to sit there and analyze the, the, the plumage and the different feather variations of the bird, that's that you have to do that same thing. It, it doesn't matter. This is your journey. And I think we've got to get to this place where, you know, if somebody wants to use an app to identify birds that, but they're loving their journey or their birding journey, I think that's cool. And I think that is, um, even going back to what we were speaking earlier with you, Chris, I think, you know, with young birders, I think we've got to give them the space to embrace technology. And that might be different to, the way that we see it it might be different to the way we think things should be done but it doesn't matter um you know what's right and what's wrong as long as you aren't hurting hurting the birds as long as you are conservation minded it doesn't matter if you are using an app to get an identification i mean really who cares it's not actually hurting the birds and it's not really hurting anyone else yeah that's true um and i, th I think like one, one of the things for me is nowadays we we shoot birds with cameras and we we capture them uh, with cameras but in the old days it used to be you shoot them with a gun and you capture them so it, it's just kind of we've progressed now we, we're no longer actually killing the birds we're actually preserving the birds by capturing them and we 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 we're preserving where they are because if i take a picture of it and i log it on bird and all that I'm contributing towards citizen science and I'm actually allowing other birders to learn where these birds are and go see them for themselves. Yeah, another app which has been really cool, which I've really, I've been blown away with. And a funny story, we were up in Cumberland and we tested this app is the Merlin 
app, which is a free app. And I was skeptical because this is an American app. Not that we're going to even think American app, but I thought, you know, how's an American app going to help us with our South African birds? And we were up at um, Cumberland Nature Reserve and we, we had a, a, a raptor. You know, I think the consensus amongst the, the, the group was that it was a brown snake eagle, but there was a bit of doubt. We, we weren't um, totally loaded. And I said, the guys, there's this app that can identify birds. And I know, I think Calvin, you said some things and <laughs> Tyron definitely said some things because he had probably had a few glasses of wine by then <laughs> but um yeah and we we loaded this this raptor in and you know it got it exactly it literally identified exactly what bird we were looking at and i've used this tested on lbj's and i've tested it on difficult species and it blows my mind what this app is capable of doing and i think you know for a newer birder um, where the book might be a bit overwhelming just to get started off with some birds i think the merlin app is a really great app to put onto your phone I think by and large, most people will try their best to identify a bird themselves. And, and when they can't, it's just nice to have this resource to assist you. Again, not everyone's very comfortable with, with them posting on, on Facebook or social media about you know, asking requests for ID and things like that. So this might just be another sort of fails have towards that. Yeah, and I know the new Canon PowerShot, which we were talking about the other day, um, is going to be linking up to um, BirdPros, if I remember correctly, which is really, really cool. It's using a local app now. Yeah, that's exciting. I'm I'm really really interested to see what what the birding market is going to make of that. Um, I think uh, we're going to be we may be playing around with one not so in, in, in the not uh, too distant future. Hey, Adam. Yeah, I think we should have one arriving next week. I think there's only two in the country at the moment. We'll be playing around with one of them. So I think watch yeah watch that episode. It's uh, it's going to be on YouTube. It's going to be really cool. We'll probably chat about it on on the podcast also. There's been a lot of people that are probably skeptical looking at it. I think that's probably the size of a vape and wondering how I can take photos. And, and I think Canon has been very open. When we've had chats to Roger from Canon, it's, he's never, they've never sold it as a DS, DSLR camera. If you're looking for a DSLR camera, buy a DSLR. Don't go buy a flipping Zoom. It's not a Canon Zoom. It's not designed for that. It's not designed for that. But I mean, I, I know I've been on bird club outings and there's some elderly folk there can't walk around with this a massive camera. And, you know, and, and I think these type of things, are, it's going to be a winner. I just, for me personally, it's something that I would I would use. I mean, there's times I don't want to go take and lug a 400 mil lens over my shoulder. I mean, I think it's heavy. There's times I just want to have a pair of bins and then you always got this fear in the back of your mind when you just take bins. What if I see a bird that I struggle to identify? This year, take the photo, links up to your phone. You've got the you got the photo straight away. Whether you're going to pop it onto the Bird the bird Pro app or whether you're going to pop it onto, send it to a friend, you've got you've got it straight on your phone. It's going to be a, a it's going to be a, a game changer in many ways, for birding. I'm really keen to give it a, give it a run and see what it does. Yeah, um, you, you know, Adam, I, just as you started speaking there, you reminded me of a, of a blog post that I think you actually put together a little while ago about, about birding safety. And, the, I mean, whichever way you look at it, we live in South Africa, or we currently bird a lot in South Africa, and we all know that there is there are safety uh, sort of um, issues with some of the places we, we like to go birding, and that's just, that's just a part of everyday life that we experience here. So to have something that's that that's less um, flashy, as it were, in terms of that that that, uh, that power shot zoom, um, I think will also make a difference because just to get a record shot, like Roger um, alluded to, like you said earlier, is that he makes no bones about it. This is never going to replace your DSLR. But to get that little record shot in, in a quick space of time. And to and to be a lot more manageable and carrying around, I think it, it will add a lot of value in that in, the, in that space. Yeah, you know the, the price. Uh, I suppose you, we, we we might. It remains to be seen whether how 
how restrictive that that becomes. But I think for what you get, and and like you mentioned, what, what the competitors are putting out, um, this does look like a very promising uh, promising piece of kit. And I think also uh, to add on to that, there's certain people, and I count myself as one of them, who actually we don't actually want to be photographers. All we want to do is just get that capture that shot so we can actually identify the bird. And I, I have no aspirations of becoming a photographer like Adam or Calvin or Tyron. So it's it's just such a, a nice device to have because you can just simply get a record shot and say, oh, I saw this bird. That's uh, 100% and, and good points. I mean, not everyone is out there is trying to trying to be the next photographer but to get that record shot and just to just to help your ideas it, it, it's going to prove valuable i mean i stand to be corrected but i think it can go into about 800 mil is that correct adam in terms of a zoom i think it's a 400 mil i might be mistaken i think it's 100 to 400 okay okay well we'll we'll play around with it and put it through its paces yeah and then also just calvin you've been playing around with the vortex 10 by 42 um diamondbacks how are how are you finding them i know uh again they really are cool but a little bit less expensive than sarovsky and zeiss and those kind of things but how are you finding them and because a lot of people send us messages and they're asking for you know, more entry-level binoculars and these might not be entry-level entry-level but i think if you're starting off i've said to people rather just get a good pair of bins try and get the best quality bins that you can, and I think maybe the um, the vortex are possibly a trade off between quality as well as price. Uh, what are your thoughts been on it as you've been trying it out? The bins are definitely your 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 mid level, or how can I say your your upper entry level binoculars? I think based on price and um, and, and and quality of, of optics, I've been doing uh, sort of a direct comparison to the to the binoculars that I currently own and use, which are the 10 by 42 Monarch 7 uh, Nikon binoculars. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit of a tricky one for me because a, a major knockout factor for me when, when, when I look at a pair of binoculars, I, I wear spectacles. So I, I bird with spectacles, I, I, I drive with spectacles, they, they, you know, they're just part of my life. I can't, I can't see very well without them. So whatever binoculars I, have, I get, I have to focus on uh, one of the specifications, which is called R-Relief. And what R-Relief is, is that when you, uh, a lot of binoculars have got um, sort of twist-out R-cups. Um, most of them have them these days. And uh, so most people will bird with those, those R-cups twisted out. I, I leave those twisted in. And what R-Relief does is it allows me, it, 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 it gives me the, the option to, how much of the, the, the light I'm, I'm able to see whilst wearing my, uh, my my spectacles, and I'm finding that the Nikon's are slightly better in the in, in that comparison. However, the optics are are great with the with the vortex. Um, I'm finding them they they're very very sharp. There's uh, not a lot of chromatic aberration. Now, chromatic aberration for someone who hasn't heard of that before is that if you're looking at if you're looking at trees on the horizon, for example, sometimes on on cheaper uh, cheaper optics or cheaper glass you'll see like a bit of fringing on the end of the tree uh, which will either be like a green or a purple sort of color and i'm not finding a lot of chromatic aberration with these uh, the, these vortex binoculars again like you mentioned earlier that the, the, they're never going to compete with swarovski that's not the market segment they're after but for someone's first pair of binoculars these are definitely something to consider um, and I'm really not just saying that because because you know we we've been fortunate enough to be given a pair to give away. Um, I, I mean that with all respect because I've I've got a I've got a I, I use 
a pair that aren't part of the sponsorship deal, and and I'll, I'll be more than happy to recommend it for my use. For for, for my you know w- w- what's important to me with binoculars, I am finding the, the Nikon slightly ahead of them just because of the RE relief which I mentioned earlier. The other thing is that these are 10 by 42 binoculars, and w- what that means versus an 8 by 42 is your magnification is 10 times, and generally in birding. You don't want too much magnification because a bird in a, in a bush, for example, or forest birding, your, your field of view is, is a little bit narrower with a, with a higher magnification, i.e. a 10. So on an 8, your, your field of view is normally about 100 or 110 meters wide, whereas when, it goes to, when you get to a 10 magnification, that gets a little bit narrower. And sometimes you can actually lose the bird that you're looking at because uh, that field of view is a bit narrower. So... I'm just used to using 10 by 42 binoculars because my, my my Nikon's are that as well. Um, so I'm quite happy with it. But it would be quite interesting to do a comparison with someone who's more of an 8 by 42 user uh, to see what their thoughts are on that. Yeah, I think something I'm really interested to to see is is Canon. And let's be honest, when we talk about binoculars, I don't think many people who listen to the show, when we talk about binoculars, will say, oh, Canon's even an option. There's like a whole lot of other names you look at, but Canon's not an option. But, you know, I was having a chat to the guys the other day from Canon, and they're going to be giving us a pair of um, Canon, Canon binoculars to use. I'm really interested. Um, Canon binoculars actually use image stabilizers. Um, and I'm interested to see, you know, for me, I'm being honest, and the guys listen from Canon, they... I can hear this. You know, I don't know what sort of difference that would make. It's it's almost like it's never been an issue with me. But you know, I'd be I'm really interested to see what sort of difference image stabilization takes when you when you use your binoculars. The only negative I can imagine is that you need um, batteries for your binoculars, which is might be a bit of a pain. But yeah, it'd be quite interesting to see and 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 to see if that what what sort of difference that makes. Well, I mean, if if it if Image stabilization has a major um, effect on, on photography, as, as we know, either in your lens or built into the sensor. So it makes sense. I mean, I, I've, got, I've got fairly shaky hands when I go birding. So if there's a pair of binoculars that can, that can help me, you know, counter, counterbalance that, as it were, whilst I'm looking at something, I think that's really an exciting prospect. Okay, so just um, last thing we're going to chat about today, we've had a really cool chat on that, is we, yesterday was, in South Africa, was Birding Big Day, which is one of the biggest days in South African birding, and for a lot of you who are watching on the show, you would have seen there were two teams we were monitoring, it was Class Act and Indabella Nightjars, um, the reason for that, both teams had um, either um, people who are part of the Birding Life, or just even ambassadors of the Birding Life, and yeah, both teams really are quite cool. Um, I don't know if Chris, I don't know if you have the numbers on hand at the moment. Um, do you know the numbers, exact numbers? I, I, I've got them. If you don't have them, I don't have them, unfortunately. Okay, so I just got a message from Yandre, who's part of, he was part of Independent Art Jars, and their team, they, they had a bird there to check, and when they got home. They are. They have 302 species. So I think that's really cool. We had a chat to John on the show last week, and I'm really stoked that they got to the 300. Well done. Um, we had a really cool little effect. We could give you a round of applause right now. So, yeah, let's give you a round of applause. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's our expensive effects, but, yeah, it's quite cool. Um, so, yeah, it would be quite cool to chat to them and just chat to them and hear what, what, what sort of things they did. Maybe we can even do a little bit of a YouTube thing with them and just have a chat. But um, our team class um, act... We, we had quite a, quite a solid plan, and I took a lot of the things we've been learning over the last couple of weeks about uh, you know how to, how to undertake a birding uh, big day, 
And, you know, we already had plans and we went into SABAB and we got statistics. We knew which birds we were meant to see, which birds we would probably not see. And we we, we, we really put a lot of planning in place. We started at Midmar Dam in the morning, um, started birding at 2 o'clock in the morning. Um, yo, my eyes weren't that great at 2 o'clock in the morning, but we were out nevertheless. It was freezing cold. But we went out 2 o'clock in the morning. I think first bird of the day, what do you guys guess it was? If you haven't seen, what do you think the first bird was? A hardy dog. It could have been hard to I would also guess just by, by what I know of the Dawn Chorus, uh, possibly Cape Wata or Cape Robin Chat. First bird of the day was an Egyptian goose on the dam. <laughs> oh, really? Jeez. So, yeah, and we got a barn owl. And we, then we got a barn owl. We thought, yo, this day is going to rock. And we were doing well. I mean, we went up from there to Albert Falls. And we had been chatting to um, Adam Riley in the lead up to it. And by, by 25 to 7, we, we hit the 100 mark. We were doing really well. We were like on track. We had set our goal for 200 for the day. We were doing really, really well. And it was great birding, getting a lot of species, got some really cool birds down there. And then we, we headed up from there to, um, we were, the next part of the plan was to head up to Mabona Private Reserve. And we got up there and the challenge was, and this is the part of the day that yeah, we couldn't have accounted for, was 100, 100, 104 kilometers an hour winds were blowing. And I mean, Adam Riley is one of the world's best birders. But let me tell you something there. We were seeing barely anything. But we got a laugher, black rump button quail, which is really cool. Also got some really cool birds there. And yeah, I went to a little bit of forest birding, uh, white star, uh, a robin and all that type of thing. But yeah, it just, uh, it just really blew the day off. I mean, I think for, Chris, you were monitoring the results. I think there was like a whole little dip for about two, three hours. We were recording almost almost nothing, if you remember, Chris. Yeah, there was, you guys were going quite steady and then all of a sudden it was just silence. Yeah, and then we headed down. We did um, Cockley Conservancy, Thurlow. Thurlow was really cool. Got uh, got a pair of denims, bust, denim, denims busted on the horizon. Was really, really cool. That um, headed from there to Doreen Clark. Doreen Clark got the Chorister, Rob, uh, Chorister Robin chat there. Um, we heard Green Twin Spot. We weren't totally sure. So we didn't log it because we weren't 100% sure. Again, got a really cool view of White Star Robin. Really good spot if you want to get them. Headed from there down. This is the really short version. Headed from there down to um, Darville. Darville was quite quiet, funny enough. It was fine, but not that great. And then we headed to Busy Nature Reserve. But here's the funny thing. Let's talk about bogey birds. The bogey birds for the day. Firstly, we had to work really hard to get a feral pigeon. I mean, we were looking for a flipping feral pigeon. Um, common minor was also quite tricky early on in the day, but we managed to get that fairly early. But birds we dipped on. Well, first bird we didn't dip on, but we struggled to get it was a jackal buzzard. I mean, for KZN, where we are, every flipping lamppost is a jackal buzzard. And we got a jackal buzzard. I don't even know. It probably was about quarter to seven at night. And then we didn't get fire and night in the morning, which is or they're always calling. We got that on Saturday night, luckily. The bird we dipped on was a rattling cysticular. I mean, how crazy is that? Oh, that's like dipping on a house sparrow. I was going to say, I, I always love hearing the stories, not always of the birds. I mean, the, the special birds that people find on big birding days is always interesting. You know, there, there's often a rarity that, that that's picked up because there's just so many teens and so many people out there looking. But I'm always, I always love this hearing the stories of the birds that people dipped on because it, it's, it's always like the most frustrating species, as you say, like a house sparrow, Chris, or a rattling cysticular. And, and the, the areas that you chose to bird in and around the, uh, the Peter Maritzburg area, they're pretty much falling out of every single acacia there. They, they should be everywhere. I think one thing that's surprising, and I think this is, we, when I spoke to Ernst, um, this is one thing that 
birding big day does really do it really opens your eyes to conservation and also to the state of some tourism hotspots that we have in our country and it's pretty sad we went to albert falls and let me tell you something albert falls was a good spot for for falcons and for alpine swift really cool spot and it was one of the spots we had down. It's probably get about 10 species of birds because it's a really, I mean, if you've been there, it's a great place to go. We went there, first you arrive, and there were rocks across the road. I'm not talking about like striking things. They've just closed the road off. And you can't get down to the fall. So we, anyway, we said we, we found this little route to get round. We parked right there. Let me say, this place was atrocious. And if there's any government officials listening, it's absolutely shocking that a tourism place like this which is such an iconic landmark in KZN, has literally gone to the dogs. It's terrible. And, I mean, there were no, literally, in terms of birds, there were no alpine swift. There were no, we saw nothing there, absolutely nothing. And I'm just, you know, curious to know what the water quality is like there. It's just, you know, it's, it's one thing that's good about these kinds of events. It, it raises awareness around these kinds of things. It lets us know what, you know, these spots that you return to year after year, you start to see how, you know, what's happening. I mean, and sometimes, in one year it's it's crazy the change we see in some of these places yeah that's a it's really sad to hear adam and and but but it's important to to raise it you know we can't just we can't just shrug it off or grumble and then carry on you know we need to speak out against things so the the the, you know facilities that are are degrading in front of us because if we don't talk about it then nothing gets done and 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 the right people don't hear that's that tourists i mean because you know although we birders we are still tourists and we make use of those facilities you know people are just going to stop going there and it's just going to go fall further and further down down the wrong track i suppose yeah but guys it's been a lot of fun to chat today and just before we end off um calvin i know you heading up country to a really cool spot what are your plans for the next week where you're birding yeah that's uh, that's right adam i'm going up with uh, with luke allen and his father Chris, uh, we we actually leave tomorrow. We're gonna we're gonna f- uh, plan to go up to Bloemfontein, um, where I'm gonna meet up with Rick Nuttall, and we're gonna go to uh, the Bloemfontein um, uh, Sandby Gardens, which which are fantastic. There's lots of uh, lots of great birds in that area, and then to one of my favourite spots in, in the country. And I know for a lot of people, uh, for mammals more than birds, but um, Marek Safaris just outside Kimberley. Uh, where you know it's 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 one of the best places in South Africa to see Ardbark. Um Not only that, but the birding is amazing there. You know, you, you, you in the Northern Cape, you're getting those those dry arid species, Kalahari scrub robin. Um, I really want to try and see crimson-breasted shrike. It's it's a bird that I dipped on. It uh, well, I didn't dip on it, but it was it popped up here in KZN, and I haven't seen one yet. So yeah, I'm really really excited for that. So it's it's going to be long driving, but I think really rewarding as well. Yeah, and Chris, it's been good to have you on the show for a change, coming out from behind the, the control desk and actually chatting. It's been really cool to chat to you. Yeah, it's been cool. Um, I promise next month you'll get tired again. Don't worry. <laughs> and yeah, just before we close off, Chris, the Spring Fling Birding Challenge has been a huge success. I know I've just been watching on Daniel Engelbrecht on his Instagram statuses. These guys have been gunning after this Tristan Spurway. Um, these guys have been going hard. You know, what are, the, what are the numbers looking like at the moment? I know there's not many days left to go. So what are the numbers looking like right now? Yeah, so as of this recording, um, the top five is... Declan Jordan with 390 species. Uh, fourth place, Zach Simpson with 395 species. Tristan Spurway with 397 species. Jordan Ralph with 434 species. And in first place is Daniel Engelbrecht with 450 species. Wow. Yeah, these guys are insane. And, this, and that's been in, in three months, hey, Chris? 
Yeah, three months. Um, and the total species count of recorded species uh, is 676. Excellent, man. Wow, it's amazing. But yo, guys, thanks for the chat. It's been lots and lots of fun. And again, thanks to Outliers Coffee Roasters for the coffee, keeping us caffeinated, keeping us awake. I mean, this is the day after um, Burning Big Day. My eyes are like heavy. I just want to sleep. Um, so yeah, guys, thanks. It's been good to chat. And yeah, we look forward to next month's conversation. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And uh, we'll catch you soon. Thanks. Cheers. We are proud to be working in association with Wild Books to help get all the best birding resources into your hands at a great price. If you would like to support the Birding Life Project and the resources that we are putting out, please click on the link in either the comment section of this podcast or in our social media posts. Your support helps us to improve and hopefully make a bigger impact. Be sure to head over to our website www.thebirdinglife.com and check out all the exciting resources that we have on our website, including our exciting forum section to connect you with the world of birding, birders, and exciting birds out there. Do not forget to follow The Birding Life on Instagram and Facebook. We really appreciate everyone that takes the time to interact with these accounts. Be sure to check out Birdlasser and download the app on either iOS or Android, and keep a life list while playing your part in social conservation as well as Swarovski Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars and spotting scopes. So until next time, be blessed and happy birding.